welcome to the NatWest Women in Business podcast. I'm June Sarpong and we're back for another episode championing female entrepreneurship, telling stories of inspiring businesswomen from across the UK. Over the course of this series, we've touched on the businesses of tech, of fashion and of food. But this week, we're getting creative, looking into the world of publishing and pulling together different talents in a creative agency. Coming up, we have mentorship from Emma Sexton, the founder of visual design consultancy Make Your Words Work. A creative firestarter, she's well known for flying the flag as a feminist entrepreneur with an exciting approach to collaboration. So I look forward to meeting her. Plus, we'll be joined by Melissa Hume from NatWest, who will be sharing some secrets from the Entrepreneurial Spark Accelerator program. But first, it's time to introduce our featured woman in business, a young entrepreneur whose love of fashion and styling has blossomed into a company with a thriving online magazine and its own creative agency attached. A warm welcome, and she's Snapchatting, so impressive, (laughs) (laughs) to Jyoti Matu, the founder of Voir Fashion. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Well, I have to say, you are wasted on a podcast. How gorgeous are you? (laughs) I mean, wow. (laughs) Thank you. So are you. (laughs) Well, takes one to know one, my dear. So let's talk a bit about your business, because it's a really interesting concept that you have with Voir. It's part fashion. Mm -hmm. Part magazine and part agency. Mm-hmm. How did that all come about? So I set up Voir Fashion with my business partner, Luke Walwyn, um, co-founder is of Voir still Fashion. Is he co-founder? Yes, yeah. he is, yeah. And um, we originally started off as a stylist and photography duo myself. My background is fashion mm-hmm. styling. Okay. Basically, there weren't many opportunities around and we knew that we, we needed to be sort of pitching for work around the South and we, wouldn't, we needed to build up a portfolio, really. So we we started working with a local publication. And as you can probably imagine, we eventually started to run out of content when it came to fashion. um, And the relationship broke down with that particular publication. Um, It was difficult because we'd invested so much into it. My business partner is not just a photographer, he's a graphic designer as well. So he was designing the publication. I was coming up with the concepts, sourcing the trends. I'd built up like a creative team at the time of a hairstylist, a makeup artist, and we'd invested a lot into it and it, it, the relationship broke down and we, just, we were at a bit of a loose end, like, where do we go from here? And at the time, I had, like, some great freelance projects going for me, which had also come to an end. So it was a pretty dark time right. um, and it was a bit like, where, where do we go from here? And what are you going to do next? And it, when you're literally at that point when you feel like you've got nothing, because that's literally where I was at and I'd signed up for an apartment that was quite expensive at the time because I thought I'd had that stability... I thought, well, we're doing everything under somebody else's banner, but mass head, mm-hmm. basically. And, um, I, you know, I, I took the gamble and I remembered I gave Luke a call and I was like, right, why don't we set up our own magazine? We're like, no budgets, no resources. <laughs> He's like, okay. And I was like, do you want to come round? And then, like, we called, like, the hair and makeup girls round as well. We had very, very limited resources. It was a dark time. How but, much did you start with? Do you remember? Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Probably like £200 or something like no that. No way. Yeah, and we all we could rely on was our creativity. And it was our visuals which were our strongest point. And I had this apartment that I just had to pay it's for. expensive apartment. Which had a phenomenal <laughs> cellar and had a phenomenal kitchen where I was 
our fashion magazine was born. Uh, we utilized everything we could get, you know, in terms of visuals, we created, because it's a very visual magazine, it's mm -hmm. digital only. Mm -hmm. We created all those visuals, you know, in terms of getting press loans, with press loans is like, you know, sourcing clothes. Yes. For it. So we had to, I, I went to local charity shops, because the thing for myself was, um, I, I was always good at sourcing trends and sort of predicting fashions, and it was like finding stuff, anything we could find to just build this portfolio. And how did you get models? Did they all do it for well, free? Well, how that worked for us is um, our visuals that we'd created, were at, we were working with some of the best model agencies in the north of England, and mm. we were actually getting them work. So off the back of that, we created relationships, and we've managed to get hold of some pretty phenomenal models. So they were able to use your images for their lookbooks? Yes, precisely. to get them work. And in terms of trend edits, I used to be sat on my floor cutting out mood boards, you know, from visuals. From off the back of that, you know, we, we used my cellar, my kitchen, my garden, my <laughs> everywhere you can think of. And we created a very powerful portfolio. Um, and we now work with some of the biggest brands in the industry. You know, we, we've worked with Dior, Tom Ford, Chanel. We get press loans from companies such as Flannels, Harvey Nichols, Selfridges. Oh we work goodness. very closely with them All now. All from £200 in your kitchen. <laughs> in your so how big is the readership? We now go out. Um, originally, it started off quite locally with this being digital. We go out on a, a digital platform called Issue. Um, which is the world's biggest digital platform for magazines. Yes. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was saturated with, with loads of, like, print replicas when we were doing our research. It's all, like, um, from that, we've gone on to now distribute in 785 hotels in 31 different countries because um, we were actually approached by Golki Media, a publisher, who was like, like, we really like what you're doing. We'd like to, you know, it's quite high-end, but it's, like, it's got a bit of high street in there. We think our clients would like this. Like, we can't promise anything. We're going to put it in front of a few of our hotels. And see how it does. See how it goes. And then literally they came back to me with a list of 785 hotels that were like, yeah, we like what they're doing. Um, we also worked with a lot of... Um, we, we took it. We started to do some celebrity features that were, that worked out for yeah, us. You had Rihanna. Yeah, we you? did. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, they were like celebrity endorsed covers that we worked with brands. It was a bit of an experiment at the time, and we saw our readership go up from that as well. Mm. And we were like, okay, this could work. We wouldn't just get anyone for anyone's sake. We was, everything is themed and structured, and you know, we come up with a concept and there's a theme throughout the publication. And we'd worked with brands doing that. And the vision and the plan for myself was always that eventually we're going to start shooting these celebrities ourselves. So we're at a stage now where we've worked with one male celebrity so far. We've got a few more in the pipeline, which I can't really say about right now. But um, the one that we worked with was Tom Zanetti, who was originally, who is absolutely smashing it at the moment. He's from Leeds originally. Mm. Um, and we built a great relationship with him that then went on for me to styling his music video, oh. um, which has been viewed by, like I think it's like millions of people, like 16 mm. million people or something. Wow. Off the back of that, I built a great relationship with his management. And I've gone on to now style some more music videos. The recent one I've done has just been featured in ID magazine, and that was with um, DWE Music Video, sorry, but like Lethal B, Chipmunk, Bassman. Grime artist, yes, isn't it? it so not what you'd expect. Yeah. No, and it went down really well. So can I ask, at what point did you realise that, because obviously you start with £200, you're in your cellar, it is hard, mm. and you are on those phones, hitting the calls and trying to get as much support as possible. At what point did you realise that Voir was actually a viable business? For us, like, how we generate revenue is through advertising and brand affiliations. But also, I think we mentioned it briefly before, like the Studio Voir side, which you were saying, the creative agency, it is our visuals. So a lot of the advertising that we've been doing 
and some of the people that we've worked with recently, we've done like more sort of advertorials, sort of like bespoke advertising. So you actually create the ad as well for we've, them. Something else that we've been wow. doing at the moment. What a great business model. But also it's been a, um, interesting with it for us because it's a platform as well for up and coming designers that it seems to be going down quite well. And after we did the, the campaign with Tom Zanetti, off the back of that, we were approached by so many designers through sort of the north of England, knowing that he was originally from there, about looking at um, advertising with like celebrities and going forward that way, really. Fantastic. Well, you are looking to expand and grow voir even <laughs> more. So we have got somebody very special who is no stranger to growing a creative company. Uh, we have the wonderful Emma Sexton joining us now. Hello. Hello. Hi there. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. I've really been enjoying hearing Dritti's story about her, building her business. Like That's my favourite part of entrepreneurship. It is, right? Yeah. Well, you understand because you've kind of built a few businesses <laughs> yeah it's kind of what you do isn't it <laughs> so do you want to tell us a little bit about make your words work and how you've managed to grow it to what it is today so make your words work we're a visual design company so everything we do is around our core mission of how can we help our clients brands and businesses deliver great visual design and we do that in two ways so one is we deliver projects so we're like a bolt-on external in-house design team so lots of day-to-day -day projects and we have a curated network of like 50 of really top talent that we like to work with and then the other side is consultancy so I work a lot with businesses in terms of transforming their in-house design teams oh wow so you'll go in and sort of help structure it. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So can you tell me, in terms of creating a design-related agency and making it grow, what are some of the hurdles and what is the one thing that any entrepreneur should do in that area? I think it's... I've had my agency just over four years now and I really understand the whole concept. People talk about building a business and I didn't really get that. I thought about building in terms of revenue, but it's actually building all the different blocks. You know, it's building your portfolio, it's building the testimonials, it's all the mailers that you sent out that didn't work until you finally got to the <laughs> one that did work. And I think for now, I feel like I'm coming into this um, really lovely era where I feel I really need to nail my new business. So I've now got the foundations to start sell but now I need to really build relationships with clients and new clients and I haven't been that good at that to be honest. Haven't you really? No. But I, you have such a sort of esteemed background in working with some huge brands. I, yes and I think I've, I'm very good at delivering and service like the service that our agency delivers is A++ but I think for me I had a mindset and it was very much driven from my fear when I set up the business of got to find new clients, got to find new clients but I think I've kind of neglected my you know, uh, existing clients. So I'd, it's a learning. Every year I grow and I learn and I develop. So this year it's definitely, you know, getting building on my new business to get the revenue that I want to achieve. Fantastic. So can we talk a bit more about your background and how you got started? Yeah, so I'm a graphic designer by trade, always a graphic design. When I was in my late 20s, I kind of looked at my career and I was like, OK, if I continue being a graphic designer, it's more of the same, but with more experience. So I then did an MA in design management. But what that course did is it really shifted me as a designer and got me thinking a lot more about business. Uh, I then took a role in-house and turned an in-house team into a standalone agency, which was my first taste of entrepreneurship. But it was very safe entrepreneurship. <laughs> and then I took another couple of roles in-house, but they were 
all excuses, really, for me. And I was like, I'm really sick of working really hard for somebody else. In fact, I found that quote. What's the quote that you you work really hard on somebody else's dream rather than yourself? There's a well-known kind of quote. But I read that for the first time and I was like, that is what I'm (laughs) doing. Stop it now. (laughs) So is there a magic formula? Um, No, no. It's a tenacity Mm. because I do really feel like there's a journey as well and the first 18 months of your business are so full on because there's so much to learn and I see so many people who kind of quit within those two years when it's actually just past that point as you get to the three years you suddenly like all your hard work starts to pay off and you get a little bit more calmness you know and I and definitely feeling that after four years my business is a lot less demanding mentally in terms of what to learn and now it's demanding in terms of just getting better and better at what we do and what you do I mean what I find really impressive about your business is you also are able to sort of create a network that allows stay-at-home parents as well to sort of work freelance and remotely Yes, I think I'm basically a feminist entrepreneur. So my business is stealth activism. Oh, wow. People may laugh at that. But I was, you know, I'd done a lot. I like that. (laughs) Well, I I think I saw I did a lot of work with a network called She Says that are a global creative community. And I was I drove them for like eight years. But I think what I noticed from them was there was an awful lot of problems about women succeeding in the workplace. And one of the ones they become mothers. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think it's my design thinking, my creative brain. You look at problems differently and I was like all that we know about psychology all that we have about technology all this stuff could change but it's very easy to talk about it Mm. but I was like I really need to do something about that and I need to prove that that can work because I don't really know but I think it could so the network of talent we've tapped into a lot of stay-at-home mums because they all work on a project basis we don't work to hours my team have unlimited holidays so our working structure we don't have an office and then in terms of like culture I really kind of looked at how can we change Uh, work culture because it's very masculine just by default I'm not Mm. criticizing that but it just is so that's the way it's been designed yeah I really want people to thrive when they work with me and be able to weave their lives into their work so yes I'm challenging stuff so when people say oh that can't be done I can go yes Yes, it it can can. (laughs) and I've done it feminist entrepreneur we like that so one thing that's great about your business, Jyoti, is that it's a magazine, um, but also you get to create your own advertorials and create your own brief. So is there something in particular that you want advice for, for Emma? Absolutely. Um, first of all, like the biggest thing for us is we're at a stage where we're trying to sort of expand our team and we realise very quickly that there's a very small team in place and it's the design side that we need to expand on. We've worked with a couple of designers and we have like a structure in place and, you know, keeping our brand identity as such. But we have struggled a little bit to have like-minded creatives mm. like we've we, especially with graphic designers a lot of them have their own style and it's like they'll come on board with the intention and, and love what we're about but what sort of processes do you have in place to to, to when to you get recruit, the right level to, of talent like, yeah yeah, it's, it's really hard. And I think what I've certainly noticed is the difference between a designer who is a stylist mm-hmm. and a designer who is a commercial graphic designer. And, you know, that's what we work really hard to find in our network and uh, is what our clients really struggle with. Uh, so what we've done is... Which is better of the two for this kind of business? It's a, it's appropriation, I think. I mean, I'm, I always challenge uh, designers who are stylists mm-hmm. because I do think that the, the graphic design gets muddied with graphic 
graphic art. Okay. You know, you can be an artist, you can follow later styles, but, you know, our clients are certain brands. You need to follow brand guidelines. You mm. need to be able to get the tonality of some work. And, you know, and I've seen your amazing publication, you know, and you have got a, a style, but it's going to be very tricky because you haven't really got one style. So I would suggest to you that, you know, what we do quite often with our projects is we'll work with some designers for the more creative direction, so the look and feel, and then we'll work with other designers that are just really good at taking that look and feel and applying it. So with your magazine where you've got lots of different sections, you could probably get a, a designer who's more creative, more stylistic to set the tone for that piece but then maybe get another designer who's very good at rolling out a look and feel for you would be my suggestion so it's it's the right skills for the right part of the job do you have like a process in place when you're recruiting designers to join your agency like do you, what sort of process do you have when you're looking yeah so we do definitely so we test them so all our designers have a, a really simple test it's no more of an hour of their time but that really helps us to work out whether they're the right designers for our company because you can look at a portfolio and they can be amazing quite often our clients deadlines mm. are very tight so we don't have a, a chance to really test them out so just by doing this really simple test it's literally like the design of a postcard we can really really tell how they're thinking, how they decide to lay that out. And that normally shows us really well what kind of skills they've got. And also they might not be right for one project, but they might be right for another project. So Jyoti, how are you planning to grow the business and also expand on the readership? I think the first thing for us is our team um, and getting our structure right in internally first. Um, because like I was just saying before we are literally doing everything we mm. want to grow on the circulation and while I'm here actually I'm off to see my publishers tomorrow to speak about putting the magazine on the Eurostar so that you know in terms of circulation the interest is growing um, but it is it's team at the moment for us and getting the right people and, and keep getting keeping that message strong keeping it right that is where we're at and, and, and we have a vision and a plan I mean the absolute dream is to become the world's biggest digital fashion magazine. Good dream. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well. <laughs> Someone's got to be. Why not you? I hope so. <laughs> well, in terms of becoming the world's biggest of fashion digital magazine, I would have thought reputation is everything. Mm. Am I right, Emma? Absolutely. So yeah. what are some of the key factors in building the right reputation? Is it just down to talent? an execution or you know how do you sort of have that respect within the industry uh, it's definitely building your brand reputation is about the experience people have when they interact with you and that's whether that's a one-to-one -a -one meeting it's whether they see you speak at a conference or it's the way your agency or your business is delivering mm. so for me I am conscious at all times as the brand experience people have with me and I absolutely do my utmost to make sure that it's that it's positive yeah. and that people remember me for the right reasons not the wrong ones. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I think I've been remembered for a few wrong ones in my time. <laughs> so, Jyoti, what's been your favourite brief that you've worked on? And what would you say has been your biggest achievement so far, other than setting up the publication itself? I think um, the biggest achievement, I think, um, is us now starting to shoot with the celebrities and shoot our own campaigns. What's been the hardest part of the business? <laughs> Both of them are like, oh, it's true. It's been, it's still, you know, I'm, I can't say we're completely out of the woods. It's, it's been tough. It's been very, very tough. Um, I think it's um, spreading yourself 
Too thin. Too thin. Doing everything. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the the problem for all entrepreneurs. All startups mm. have that. Yes, definitely. It's a, and it's a roller coaster, right? It's those moments of like the moments of joy are so incredible and so addictive yeah. that they let you ride out the like the big dip yes. moments where you're like, oh my goodness, what is going on? But just I think just the way that we grow as people as well. Just when I look back on the person that I was when I set up my business mm. and the person I am now, and yeah, like it's an incredible journey. But I, it's hair raising. <laughs> so how how do you develop confidence in that area then? Because presumably you're much more confident now as an entrepreneur than when you started. Yes, I definitely. I, no one prepares you for that first year in business. That first year for business for me was much more about my psychology and my state of mind than it was anything about the business. And no one talks about that. Nobody talks about that, but yeah. it's so true. Because yeah. it's one thing to know that you can do it. It's another thing to know you deserve it. Yes. They're two very different things. Yeah, and we all have they? our yeah. we all have our sensitive points. There's always things that I have to overcompensate for because of the way I'm made, because of my life experiences. But in that first year, I very quickly realised that if I didn't get out of my own way, that was going to stop me making money. So yeah. that was a real motivation to take a good hard look at myself and go, right, you need to work on this, you need to work on this. So, yeah. So do you have any other questions that you want to ask, Emma? Yeah, um, I've got another one, actually. I was reading an article um, about you and you'd mentioned that you'd um, worked with, so, which we mentioned a bit before, about working with so many freelancers and that you really mastered the art of communication. What does that mean? Oh, okay. <laughs> so, well, because our our network of talent work everywhere in the world, some of them are stay-at-home moms. Oh, are they globally? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought it was just here. Yeah, oh, no, wow. globally. And also because some of them are stay-at-home parents, some of our freelancers I've never, ever met face-to-face. So everything we do is remote and we don't have an office. So it's very rare that we have a project where we all need to be in a room together Together. uh, because of the types of projects that we're delivering as well and I think what I realized is when you're in an office with people there's a lot that goes in subconsciously by osmosis is it when Mm -hmm. it just yeah and you don't have that so we just had to get really hot on our briefing process basically and I think that as human beings when you know something it's really difficult to communicate as if you don't know it so we do have a structure for our briefing form which I'll happily share with you but uh, but essentially we write a brief like we're writing a brief to an alien we never make any assumptions that the freelancer knows even if that freelancer's worked with that client before the brief would never assume that they know and that's that's to me would be my my biggest advice to you is never make any assumptions ab- about that and and yeah that should help your briefs do your clients rec- request certain designers that you work with is that how it works or you just choose who you think is right yeah for that I, I never do that you know I've built my business and having done the MA in design management is to you know have a risk and not a risk free business but you know we need to be able to operate so that if half the freelancers fall off the planet if I fall off the planet that the business still runs our clients still deliver Mm -hmm. so we have lots of systems and processes in place the way we save our files the way we work with designers any project at any time could be pulled off a designer and given to somebody else brilliant so Emma I want to talk a little bit more about collaboration uh, and your approach to flexible employment shortly but first let's hear from Melissa Hume an entrepreneurial development manager from NatWest on how the entrepreneurial spark program is inspiring collaboration at their hubs across the country.
So my name is Melissa Hume. I am the Entrepreneurial Development Manager for NatWest. Uh, I work in the Entrepreneurial Spark Hub in Leeds, where I work very closely with the entrepreneurs who are in there and I help support them as they grow and scale their businesses. So collaboration is key for any entrepreneur, for any business, you know, forging those business relationships to help them as they grow. So some of the ways that we've seen this manifest in the hubs is with things like Pitch Club. So within Entrepreneurial Spark, powered by NatWest, we give the entrepreneurs the tools they need and the structure to form a good pitch. In fact, a great pitch. And then they can use that, whether that's in front of investors or as part of, you know, customers. But we're really wanting them to be backable, credible, investable individuals. And, you know, it's scary getting up and talking, you know, in front of people you don't know. And pitch clubs emerged on the back of that. So, you know, the the, the entrepreneurs meet on a regular basis weekly and they practice their pitch. They do it in a safe environment. They get that feedback there and then and they work on it. And in fact, one of the entrepreneurs that I worked with who's gone through the program you know, when she arrived she was terrified of public speaking you know she hated doing it. it was so far out of her comfort zone and on the first day her first attempt at pitching her notes actually flew out of the window how she changed and moved on from that point she became one of our best pitchers she was incredible and she actually went on to win investment she won pitching competitions and so that kind of support was really key in helping her move forward we also do something called power hours which I love power hours so Power Hours is where the businesses all get around together on a table, they discuss a business problem and they work together to resolve it. But that happened very organically. One day there was a problem, let's let's support each other, let's, you know, let's work through this because even though you've got a different business, you peel back the layers, actually underneath it, we're going through very similar situations. So it works really well and it's really important that businesses support each other and I can help facilitate that. Alongside the Power Hours, the Pitch Clubs, and NatWest also do what we call Masterclasses. So that's where we bring in experts to talk about something that's very important to the businesses. So actually one that's going on today is building your A-team, and that's all around recruiting the right people. You know, we've got a panel of experts, whether that's somebody from the bank, external. Uh, we've got somebody from our, one of our other partners, Pinsent Masons, to talk about the nuts and bolts of it. And so that gives the entrepreneurs the opportunity to ask those questions because as they're building their team and they're growing their their business they need to make sure that they get the right people in with the same vision to support them in their long-term goals and ultimately that's why I love being part of it that sort of motion that sharing of help and support and learning and it's you know it's a fantastic thing to be a part of and I'm very proud to be part of NatWest and, uh, and proud to be part of Entrepreneurial Spark. Thanks to Nat West's Melissa Hume there, and we'll be hearing more from her as she joins us a little later on in the show. You're listening to the Nat West Women in Business podcast with me, June Sarpong, and I'm joined by Jyoti Matu, founder of Voir Fashion, magazine and agency, as well as Emma Sexton, founder of visual design agency Make Your Words Work. Now, Jyoti, you actually know Melissa, don't you? You're part of the Entrepreneurial Spark Hub that she looks after in Leeds. Very quickly, what sort of impact would you say the Accelerator course has had on your development? It's been life-changing for me. Really? Yes. Wow. Um, over the past... She's that good. She's, <laughs> Melissa, Melissa is amazing. <laughs> the scheme, first of all, because it's Entrepreneurial Spark, powered by NatWest. Starting with Entrepreneurial Spark, it literally we'd had this 
four-year portfolio. I'm running myself into the ground at this point, smacking my head in the wall, built these connections. And I think I just got to a point where I was a bit like, where do I go from here? I was approached by Channel 4 to do like a feature about the magazine, but we just weren't ready for that. So I went online and I started to do some research and I thought we really need some help on the business side of things here. And I came across Entrepreneurial Spark. And I went for the scheme, which was really, really intense, did like a, a 60 second pitch off. And so you weren't originally a NatWest client. You contacted them after Googling this. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So I was successful on to the scheme. And then I met Melissa, who is part of NatWest, who has been amazing for us. She's put me in touch with accountants, has given me a lot of support, made introductions to mentors, a lot of support just personally, taking me to like really inspiring women in power events, bringing me here today. And she's just an amazing cheerleader. Brilliant. Well, Emma, I want to talk more about collaboration, as I said earlier. So what's really interesting about Make Your Words Work is it's cooperative freelance, isn't it? Is yes. that what I call it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's flexible, like we were saying a bit earlier, people work remotely. Why was it important to create a business like that for you? I think I also, when I before I set up my business, I spent quite a lot of time prepping that and researching that, mainly out of fear, to be honest. When I'm scared, I like to be prepared. But also I started looking at some agency spreadsheets and I was like, okay, what do I want my business to bring me financially? Because it's one thing to have a business, but I really do want this business to change my life financially. So I was like, okay, I want to earn X amount of money per year. What do I need? So I started looking at agency spreadsheets and you know most of the businesses you needed I wanted to have let's say 100 grand a year dividend Mm -hmm. at the end of the year right I think that's a pretty good amount of money (laughs) Um, and then I looked at accounts and I was like okay well I probably need a million pound agency a million pound agency is probably doing 10% profit (gasps) 10 to 15% profit, some even even less, less. yeah. So I was like, okay, a million pound agency, that's an office, that's lots of staff, that means big accounts, that means servicing clients that I might not even want to work Work with. with, It felt, and also I'd just been through a recession as well, so I was very much aware. And I'd kind of looked, I've been reading a lot around flexible working, there's a great book called Remote, which is written by Jason Freed, which is all about remote working, which is very easy in the tech world. So perhaps you need to read yeah. that and write that down. down. <laughs> I've very much taken a lot of what I read around the tech world into my business. So what I've created now is a really lean business. So we can scale up really fast and we can scale down. So when Brexit happened, for instance, I had a lot of anxiety around that. Mm. But then I was like, but this is exactly why you set up your business in this way. Of course, yeah. So, you know, with the cooperative of freelancers, we only ever work on a by-project base. So I have a very lean day-to-day business business cost and we don't have an office and then the consultancy what I want to do there is what I'm calling productizing my IP so turning my intellectual property what I know into workshops and training because then I can scale that side of the business and have other people deliver that for me yeah so what I want to have is just a really lean business that's going to make me lots of money lots of money (laughs) that's not a bad goal (laughs) (laughs) so can you tell me a bit more about your latest project Flock Global. What is that? So Flock is a second business I have, which came out of a very serendipitous trip. So I was meeting a lot of other female entrepreneurs and we were having very different business conversations. And it was very much, you know, like our sales
ourselves all sitting down here talking about how can we share knowledge? How can we share what we've learned? How can we share contacts? But I wasn't having that with lots of other traditional business owners. And we all kind of knew each other vicariously. And I suggested that we went on a girl's holiday. And because we were how working. How many of you were there? So there were nine of us, seven oh, wow. businesses. Wow. But I knew that all these women couldn't really have a holiday because we're building businesses. Like you just don't switch off from that in the first <laughs> couple of years. So we pulled all our resources. We decided to go to New York. We got a house on Airbnb. Everyone paid a different amount according to what they could afford. And then uh, we branded the trip. And it was my idea to brand it because I wanted us to maximize the PR marketing opportunities. How can you explain to a journalist nine women, seven businesses, like that's never going to create cut through. So we called it Flock. We talked about women collaborating in business. We had a, a party at our, at our house. We had 100 people come to our house on the first night we were there. As you do. We pitched to Sarah House and we ran events in New York. And we got so much out of that trip, not just in terms of contacts that we made, pooling our resources, but just the, the development and growth as entrepreneurs. So we launched Flock two years ago to bring that to other entrepreneurs. Fantastic. It sounds like what a fun holiday. <laughs> <It> was. <laughs> That's was. great. So do you think it's important that more businesses look at your approach? Do you think this is the future of business? Yeah, so everything we do around Flock is around collaboration. So again, it's another one of my feminist... <laughs> Stealth, um, stealth activism because I looked at competition and I was like competition made a lot of sense 10, 20 years ago when you know it cost you an awful lot of money to market and get your word out oh there goodness, now yeah. you can set up something in your bedroom and reach the whole world you if can. you want to in, in fact people have so for me Boy. we have a term the flock Fibonacci effect because we believe that when you collaborate in business you open up greater opportunities than you ever can if you compete so I'm really pushing for an alternative marketplace I also think that it's a much more feminine way to do business. I agree. Not exclusively to women. We've got men in our network now, but it is a different mindset and not everybody is comfortable and not everybody believes in non-competition, but every experience that I've had collaborating with people has just brought me more opportunities, but also just more fun adventures. Business can be amazing. It doesn't have to be this like cutthroat, get out of the way, I'm coming through, there's only room for me and no one else. Like that's just, yeah. Well, we've been uh, talking about collaboration and uh, we're now joined by Melissa Hume from NatWest, who we heard from a bit earlier, who was talking precisely about collaboration. So can you tell us a bit about your role and what you do, Melissa? Yeah, of course. So my role is an entrepreneur development manager for NatWest. It's, in my opinion, the best role in the bank. I get to work with amazing people like Jyoti every day. Ultimately, where my role comes in is a conduit between NatWest, Entrepreneurial Spark and the wider ecosystem. So it's my responsibility to ensure that entrepreneurs like Jyoti have everything they need in terms of support. So that can manifest in terms of infrastructure support in putting things, the building blocks in place with their business, but the connectivity, the expertise um, and the support that we can level, calling on NatWest's countless uh, professionals and and experts to help them uh, progress and grow their businesses. So I've been working, I've been very lucky to work with Joseph for the last six months and the, the change, the difference in Jyoti since I've, you know, since she's been on the programme. I mean, it's a privilege to see, really, you know, watching kind of how she's grown, her confidence, you know, turning into this incredibly powerful and inspiring, actually, uh, businesswoman who, you know, doesn't take any nonsense, who knows what she wants, very structured, uh, very strategic, 
uh, thinking long term about what she needs to do to support her business um, and, and, you know, having the guts to go out and ask for it. And, and my role is to make sure that happens. Fantastic. So now, Emma, I want to touch more about what you were saying about female entrepreneurs and you are a feminist entrepreneur. <laughs> what do you think are some of the hurdles that women face? I, the biggest the biggest hurdle is, is not being taken seriously. And I have really noticed that in the past year as I've been, you know, 100% confident in what I'm delivering uh, and realising that I have a much harder sell and that I have lost work to male colleagues. But then I've, you know, met other businesses with men delivering that work. And I've actually had to come in and almost fix what they didn't do because they didn't listen to me in the first. So I definitely think there's something around that. I think there's a lot of stigma around investing. I think there's a lot of male investors and they don't want to invest in women and they're making a lot of stereotypical assumptions, especially around a woman's certain age and whether they might have children. Mm. So I think we've got all the same boring barriers that we have in the workplace. But, you know, I do think it's changing because there's more awareness out there. What what are the ways around that? Because obviously you've managed to somehow navigate all of that. I think it's being aware of those issues so that when things happen, you're not taken by surprise. And I certainly think there's been moments where I've gone... Really? Really? Oh, is that is that is that a thing? So I think the more that you know it. So when you're going into investor pitches, being aware of like how people might be talking to you and testing you and being able to respond to that. I think also appreciating that women, we I think this is a cultural nurture thing that we tend to dial down what we're doing. There's the whole test around the job applications and women who apply for jobs won't apply for jobs if and they can't. hundred percent yeah. qualified. Where, yeah, <laughs> where guys will be a bit like, yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's I think that's just the way we have been brought up. So you've constantly got to work with that. And I see so many women who are doing incredible things, and you talk to them, and they really cannot see how amazing they are. So yeah, it's dialing up the confidence as well and self belief. And do you find that you're sort of a bit of an agony aunt, Melissa? Do you sort of have to nurture occasionally the entrepreneurs yes. you work with? Occasionally. <laughs> Jyoti's that <like>, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's often it is often warranted and actually that's positive. That's my part of my role is to do you know what? Stop. Let's reflect. Let's talk about what's worked really well, and let's put some practical things in place so that how you're feeling right now won't happen again. So yeah, I think there's definitely ways around that. And really? also getting your own girl gang in place. I don't know, uh, Jyoti, if Do you've you got that? your own girl gang of women who are lifting you up, who are doing something similar, who have their best interests in your in uh, at the heart. Oh, absolutely. I've got childhood friends that I've grown up with from since I was like five who are absolutely smashing life at the moment that, you know, that I can But are they well. entrepreneurs? Because I think what you're talking about is really important. Yeah, I have a, a couple of those. But to be honest with you, Entrepreneurial Spark has been has amazing been that. for that. Okay. And I've, I was I was actually mentioning this the other way down, didn't I? I've built some great relationships in there with other females. Um, recently, uh, another colleague of mine that's there, um, Ellie from Matcoms, she, you know, we've built a phenomenal relationship and it's the relationship... Being able to understand challenges, like she's going on holiday for the first time, she's leaving her team for the first time, and I I haven't left the country in like in like four years or something <laughs> like that. You know, like, and even like now we're getting to a time when I'm getting invited to like the shows in like Paris and Milan and things like that, and I have to you know even coming here today and leaving for for like two days with like my, even though my business partner can handle it, being able to have that entrepreneurial spark's been phenomenal for that. So yeah, I do have this emotional support but to be able to to have those like-minded people yeah definitely 
that was one of the things when I first actually joined Entrepreneurial Spark that I was most impressed by because I didn't know how that dynamic would work. Would there be conflict? Would there be competition? But actually the way these businesses and it's replicated across all the hubs work together and actually go out of their way to help each other to help each other. Mm. And business relationships have been formed out of it, new opportunities. And so, you know, looking at Josie, you wouldn't think that there would be the potential to work with somebody on self-defense and that would be a business relationship, but it has. And so that's, you know, that's the beauty of seeing these things happen very organically in a, you know, a really supportive environment. It's really lovely to actually be around because I'm not sure you see that out in the, the wider market. Enough. You don't see it yeah, enough. enough. Yeah. So can you tell me, Melissa, do you have any sort of stats in terms of the success rate with Entrepreneurial Spark? Well, funny you should say funny that. Should <laughs> <laughs> so the 2016 Entrepreneurial Spark powered by NatWest Impact Report was released and you know we're very, very proud of some of the stats in there. So just a couple to mention. So in we've got £151 million worth of investment the entrepreneurial spark, the entrepreneurs in there, their turnover, 176 million. But the one that I would say I am I'm perfectly most proud of is the 85% survival rate. Oh, so wonderful. Businesses yeah. that have been involved with entrepreneurial spark have that success rate, which particularly when you look at fledgling businesses, you know, that 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 start is significantly lower. So to be able to say that actually we have helped support these businesses grow, thrive and put them back out into the economy to be impacting on on some of these of the world you know that's that's a really important thing for NatWest to be able to demonstrate you know responsibly mm. that you know we feel that we you know we have that responsibility to do that brilliant well congratulations thank you so Jyoti what do you see as your next big hurdle and and as you progress forward in the business or hurdles <clears throat> well at the moment we are, I mentioned at the beginning that our, our vision is to become the world's biggest digital interactive fashion magazine. We're working on the interactive part. <laughs> We've got a new website coming out and we're working on um, brand affiliations. Um, we've spoken to quite a few brands about this where we take like a percentage of sales so people can click through and actually shop while they're on the go. So we're, we're, on, we're going through that at the moment. This is our challenge. And we've got this new website that's getting built that was meant to have launched like a week ago, two weeks ago, just going around technical problems. But yeah, um, eventually the dream is that, you know, we'll be able to stock our own clothing and people have to buy from us. Oh, to become a proper e-commerce site. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well. Like, but that's like further down the line. But at the moment, it'll be like brand affiliations and working with brands so while, while, while women are on the go and they're you know, oh I like that or they can actually just buy it and shop through so that's where where we're at at the moment is sort of putting that all in place that is the, the challenge that we're battling with Brilliant well it's been fantastic talking to you all um, so wonderful to hear about your business Jyoti and Emma congratulations for everything you're doing um, and Melissa well you know you've got your PR woman here <laughs> So before you all go, I just have one question. Um, what's the best thing about your job? Um, I'll start with you first, Emma. It's the it's the freedom to do exactly what I like, when I like, even though that's challenging some days. And with who you like. And with who I like, exactly, exactly. That's kind of cool. That's, that's called living the dream. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, a few more noughts in my bank balance and then it's living the dream. <laughs> You're working to that. And Melissa? 
Uh, I would have to say the passion, it's infectious. You know, you work with these incredibly creative, you know, brilliant people and, you know, they've got a passion for their business and it ignites something in you when then you pass that to your colleague and it's like a domino effect. So, yeah, it's, it's incredible. There's been a few late nights, but it's absolutely <laughs> an incredible role and it's great to work with people like Jyoti. And Jyoti. For us, it's like such an exciting time. Um, there's so much going on with us being a part of the scheme, coming here today, meeting people like yourself. And it's like every day is a roller coaster and I never know what to expect. And you come into our studio, it's a small space and it looks uh, you're like, oh, uh, but really it's just crazy every day. But I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. And like you said as well, Emma, it's having the freedom. And every day when I wake up, I, I you know, even though I'll have like anxiety at times, I wake up and I think I am so blessed to be able to do this. You know, it's what I love. It's my dream. Fantastic. I want to know, have you still got that nice kitchen? <laughs> I don't actually live there anymore. Don't live anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you all very much. Thanks a lot. Thank you to my fantastic guest uh, for this episode. Remember, you can find out more about the Women in Business Initiative and how NatWest team of over 400 specialists can help you simply by searching NatWest Women in Business. And remember, if you want to talk to NatWest about funding, security may be required, product fees may apply, and you must be over 18. Until next time, it's bye from me, June Sarpong.